SEL, or social emotional learning, is a popular topic in the education world these days. You might say it's trending right now. It is an important area of focus for teachers. I view SEL as an avenue to happier, safer, and more supportive classrooms. I also think we're just beginning to scratch the surface with SEL. So uh, I interviewed a teacher who makes SEL as a foundational component of her classroom. She sees it as a big focus and a passion of hers. I picked up some tips and practices to try in my own classroom through this interview, so I'm very grateful for that. I hope you do too. If you do SEL in your classroom or if you have views on it and wish to share them uh, with the rest of us, please reach out to me as I'd love to have you on the show and pick your brain a bit. Drop me an email at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Turn and Talk podcast where educators take the mic back and speak their truth without filter. I interview teachers and school personnel and ask them to share their views and experiences about education anonymously. If you work in a school setting or have worked in one and have something to say about education, something that needs to be said out loud or something that isn't said enough, then please email me at turnandtalkpodcast at gmail.com because... I'd love for you to take the mic back and add your voice to the conversation about public education. Subscribe, share, and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone. Uh, one of the reasons I do this podcast is to connect with teachers, uh, connect with teachers around the world and, and learn from what they do in their classrooms. So our guest today is someone I intend to learn a lot from, especially in the domains of emotional learning and mindfulness and teaching in general in the classroom. So without further ado, uh, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm excited. Thank you. We're looking forward to learning from you. would love to start with you just telling us a little bit about what you do. Yeah. Um, I live in Los Angeles, California. I currently am just substitute teaching, but last semester I was doing sixth grade and I've also taught seventh and eighth grade. And this is my third year in the classroom. So yeah, I teach English and history specifically, um, but my main passion is social and emotional learning and implementing that in classrooms whenever I can. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by social emotional learning? Yeah, so a little backstory. So my first student teaching experience was in a middle school in South LA. And my students were coming in with a lot of trauma. And I really didn't know how to deal with this. I hadn't worked with this type of student population before. Um, my mentor teacher, I recognized that a lot of the ways she was handling student issues were not necessarily constructive and the students weren't responding very well to her. So that is when I really began researching um, just kind of strategies that I could better reach my students because they're coming into the classroom and they don't want to learn. They just have so many other things that are already on their mind and a lot of that manifests in behavior problems. So this is when I kind of stumbled upon mindfulness and meditation. And I started kind of just implementing this by just doing it like five minutes a day in the morning. And I just gradually started teaching my students other kind of social skills too, like problem solving, uh, goal setting, just recognizing different emotions that they're feeling. Because a lot of the times uh, they just think they see the world in black and white. It's just happy, sad, um, when really they might just be tired, you know, and if they learn how to deal with that, then they're a lot more successful in the classroom. So that's kind of what began my whole interest in social and emotional learning. And I think it makes a big difference overall in 
their academic performance. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. And what are some ways uh, that you have seen uh, emotional learning piece done well in the classroom? And, and what is your own experience of doing it in the classroom? Um, so I, I implement it in a lot of ways. I do just like mindful minutes in the morning. Um, a lot of the times when my kids come in from lunch or recess or other high energy activities, um, I'll just have the lights dimmed um, and we'll do like a little guided meditation or a breathing exercise just to kind of reground, recenter, get back into that learning headspace. Um, I also have a little corner in my classroom, uh, like a calm down corner, and it will have different type of sensory tools, um, coloring sheets, just little things that they can play with or look at or just kind of like cuddle with if they're feeling stressed. Because a lot of the times kids can self-regulate if they have the tools. They just oftentimes don't have the tools or don't know how to use those tools. Cool. Uh, thank you. And would love to hear a little bit more about why you actually came into education. Did you always want to be a teacher? Actually, no. Um, after I graduated from college, I was studying for the LSAT. Um, I wanted to go to law school. And I did want to uh, pursue law because I had been tutoring kids. I'd been volunteering in some school settings. I recognized that there was a lot of problems in education. So I wanted to do kind of educational law. And then I realized, because um, I really did not enjoy studying for the LSAT, that maybe I just wanted to take a year and kind of, I don't know, actually do some work directly with schools and with students. So I did AmeriCorps. Uh, I was with City Year and I was put in a sixth grade classroom. And I just, I fell in love with it. I And I also just realized that these kids deserve really good teachers. And a lot of times at these inner city schools that don't have a lot of resources, that's not happening. And it's not even the teacher's fault. That's really what drove me to pursue a teaching credential and brought me into the classroom. And I'm so happy that I made that decision. And how did you end up in this, the current grade brand that you're in, where you're teaching? Initially pursuing a secondary credential just for history. I wanted to teach mm -hmm. high school. But I just found that the most vacancies in my area were in middle schools. And I think a huge reason for that is because middle school is tough. <laughs> um, middle yeah. schoolers are, they're, they're a tough bunch. But now that I have that experience, I, that's like my favorite age to teach. They're just so funny. They're so raw. It's the perfect combination of being a little kid with brutal honesty, but also you can talk to them um, about real things. Um, and real issues, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, you're so right about that. I feel the same way. And and it's very different from six to seventh and then from seven to eight. It's like completely different. Oh, yeah, different. they grow up so much um, in that time period. It's crazy. Yeah, both physically and, and emotionally and uh, intellectually. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, so how has your experience been as far as learning to teach and your teacher education? How has that been for you? What's the experience been like? I think that teaching is one of those professions where you're just learning every single day and you learn as much from what doesn't work as you do from, you know, textbooks and other things. I had, I was just kind of thrown in feet to the fire for my student teaching. I had a mentor teacher who love her, but she really just wanted me to take over, which I did. Um, and so I learned a lot just by trial and error. Um, and I did a lot of my own research. I invested a lot of time and money into reading books about various uh, just kind of like ways to handle behavior, just pedagogy in general. One thing that I really always come back to is just the theory of multiple intelligences. I really try to incorporate that in all of my lessons, make sure that there's an access point for every single type of learner. I think that oftentimes the best behavior management plan is just a really engaging lesson. Um, and kids, 
they'll they'll surprise you. Even the toughest kids, um, they they want to learn. Um, they just need to be engaged, you know. Um, so I'm always looking for new ways to excite the kids about the content. Yes, thank you. And for listeners who um, may want to learn more about the theory of multiple intelligences, this is, I believe, the Howard Gardner theory on the yes. different types of intelligences that may exist in people, right? Yeah. Is there anything you wish you had learned in ed school that maybe you didn't? Yeah, I wish that definitely more behavior management strategies. They taught us so much about just like pedagogy and how to teach. And I was so excited to implement all these strategies, which you can't do if you don't know how to control a class. And so that's really where I learned a lot by trial and error, just trying different things to motivate the kids. Um, and also uh, just various types of consequences when they weren't meeting my expectations. But I think that teacher education programs and also substitute companies really need to invest more time and research into how to teach teachers to manage huge class sizes. Because I know my first year teaching, I had one class with 43 students in it. And 43 11-year-olds wow. is very difficult, um, especially when you just don't have the experience to draw from. Wow, yeah, that's this is in uh, LA? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I, how do you get anything done in, in such a big, big group of uh, energetic little children? <laughs> uh, you got to be creative, for sure. Um, and some days, there's just not always going to be that much learning that's done. Some days, you're just putting out fires. But um, I got very creative. I did a lot of kind of like station workshop type of stuff so the kids could... Um, do a lot of independent learning because it really is almost impossible to have one teacher in the front of the room and expect 43 students to just be quiet and listening. Um, you really got to be creative in how you, <laughs> you engage them. Yeah, yeah. And do you think your social-emotional learning work, did your interest in that develop as you were seeing the realities of the classroom? And do you think that has been helpful in behavior management as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've noticed that a lot of kids, um, especially around the middle school age, there's, you know, hormones and just lots of drama in general. Um, but a lot of kids just don't know how to even label their emotions and then they don't know what to do with it. And so they act out. But when I actually sit down with a kid and I ask them what the issue is and I provide them with a list of ways to deal with that emotion, then they can then take those strategies and use them on their own. So um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I had one student who experienced a lot of like loss in her family and she had a few episodes throughout the year where she would just, you know, burst into tears and she didn't know how to handle that grief. And she was just very not focused on the lesson. She wasn't turning in work. It was really impacting her. But when you take the time to listen to those kids and you provide them with those strategies, that student then would just give me one of her, I gave her some little break cards um, and she only got to take two a day. And the break cards lasted for five minutes. Um, and so she would use her break card. And that meant she could go to the calm down corner. She could do some little exercise in the calm down corner. She could go get water. But by providing that student with the tools she needed to kind of handle herself, it was a lot less disruptive for me and the rest of the students. And a lot healthier for her, too, because she could step out, express her emotions authentically in private and then come back into the classroom where she knows that she needs to focus, you know, because I've already given her the opportunity to kind of handle her emotion. 
and now she's gonna um, do what she promised me, which is come in and do her work. Right, right. Do you think then that there is a requirement, or do you do you recommend that teachers build some kind of an emotional connection with children? And if so, how? I think it's absolutely critical. Um, I heard so many times throughout my student teaching um, and in my credentialing program that you're not there to be their friend, and I I agree with that. However, I do think it's incredibly important for your students to, if not like you, then at least respect you. Um, and one of the best ways to gain that respect is just simply listening to what they have to say. Um, students want to feel validated. They want to feel like they are important and they want to feel like they can come to you and they can trust you with something. And if you can earn their trust and respect, then when you do tell them something, if they're misbehaving in class, like, hey, knock it off, they're, they're going to know that you're serious and that you're doing it out of love for them. Um, you want them to sit and you want them to learn, you know. So you recommend in that taking the time to actually hear a child out, listen to them, can help build that emotional connection? Yeah, I, I think it's critical. And there's ways to do that with the whole class, too. Um, because obviously it's, it's very hard, especially when you're in a secondary setting and you have over 100 students throughout the day to meet with them one on one. But you can do like weekly or biweekly talking circles, even if it's something as silly as if you could have any superpower, what would it be? And then just have a talking circle where everyone shares that. It just kind of creates um, it just creates a community and it lets everybody learn something about everybody else that they might otherwise have not known. Um, and it's also a great way to handle conflict, too, if there's like a whole class issue to sit them down in a circle and give students the chance to actually voice their opinion. It really it makes them feel validated. And I think that oftentimes is enough to stop the misbehavior. Yeah. And it sounds like it, it also creates an opportunity for the community to spend time together and address a situation together which sounds like it could be impactful in resolving conflict. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about teacher mental health? Have you any strategies for teachers or recommendations for teachers about how to monitor their own uh, emotional well-being? Yeah, um, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of anything I have to say about that just comes from my own experience. Um, I know my first year teaching, I was completely overwhelmed. I was experiencing like crippling anxiety, um, compassion fatigue. Uh, I felt like this isn't the career I should have gone into. And I think that a lot of teachers feel that way, at least at some point in their career. Um, and a lot of the times it's just because there's so much put on our plate. We're expected to be there all day, every day, giving 100% of our attention to all of these kids who bring in a lot of trauma from home. Um, a lot of the times there's behavior issues um, and a lot of the times we're just not receiving adequate supports from our school or the district that we work for. Um, and I think it's just really important that teachers prioritize their own self-care. It's because it really is impossible to care for someone else if you are not at your all. Um, so I had to set some rules for myself. I do not take work home. Um, I set a timer on my phone. I will not stay at school past five o'clock. And ideally, um, I won't stay past four, but you know, some days are, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. impossible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And also just certain things like I don't let students in my room at lunch. I wanted to be that open door teacher that could be there for students always. And there's times where I, I will. Um, but I also recognize that I need time to decompress. I need time to take some deep breaths to be organized. And I think that it's okay for teachers to set those boundaries for themselves with students and with um, their administrators. I know that some administrators like to email at all hours of the day. <laughs> yeah, just respect your own time too is the biggest advice that I could give on that front. I think that's great advice. Teaching is one of those jobs that you can work as much as you want. If you if you want to work 24 hours a day, you can. Oh, yeah. Because absolutely. there's so much to do. So I really appreciate your input on setting some rules for yourself and, and sticking to them. That's the harder part. I mean, there's definitely been times where I'm like, oh, my God, like I need to stay past five because I have a mountain of grading and I have conferences and I have to do x y and z but i think in those moments it's just critical that you collaborate and ask for help i remember last semester i finally went to my administrator and said i i need help with this like i have so much to do it's overwhelming i want to maintain my priority on the kids and the lessons i'm implementing on a daily basis and i don't feel like i can do that with the amount of work that's piled up and i think that by being honest it a lot of people think that it makes you look weak, but it really doesn't. I think it's incredibly brave because it's scary going to a boss and saying like, hey, I need help. But I think that at least hopefully everyone's there for the kids, right? So um, they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that the kids get what they need. And to ensure that kids get what they need, they also need to ensure that teachers are getting what they need. I um, so agree with you, especially the point about just talking to, you know, whatever, whoever your supervisor is, whether it's the AP or the school principal. I just find every time I've had to do that or talk to or, or have been honest, I have gotten the support. So I think, yeah. you know, everyone, everyone has so much going on and, and everyone has so much to do in a school building. It is important to actually speak up and advocate for yourself. The help is there, could come. But yeah, you do have to ask. So to connect back to your work in um, under, underserved neighborhoods with large classroom sizes, what are some mm -hmm. things you think are absolutely necessary in, um, in order for teachers to do their work well and for students to learn in those high need settings? I think in, in those types of settings, it is incredibly critical before you dive into content at any level that expectations are co-created with the students so that they take some ownership over the roles in the classroom and that routines and procedures are just completely drilled so it's just memory like they're coming in and they're doing everything exactly that they need to do and then when it's perfect then dive into the content because otherwise throughout the year it's just going to be an ongoing battle and it's completely exhausting i i learned that the hard way my first year, I was just so excited. And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna be this like nice teacher. I don't want to be too strict. And I, I got I was walked all over all year long. Um, and I had great yeah. student relationships, but they weren't ones that were built on a foundation of respect. And so now that's, that's what I do when I go into even if I'm just subbing for the day, I spend a good chunk of time just going over my expectations and making sure students know what is expected of them because it's also not fair to get a student in trouble if they 
truly honestly don't know what they were supposed to be doing and what your expectation was. Yeah. And when you think about classroom management, uh, mm -hmm. are there any classroom management specific resources, especially when, when we're talking about emotional learning? People have been talking about it a lot more recently with the break corners, cushions, and all kinds of these materials that make uh, some of that work possible for a lot of children. Uh, do you think that resources are needed or are lacking in some of those communities? And what, which resources are critical in your opinion? Um, I think it's possible to create um, a really comfortable uh, environment where your students want to be without too many physical resources. It's more about like the love that you show your students um, and even just by hanging their work that they turn in. Um, and having them help decorate it, even if it's just little paper chains and posters that they draw, they they love seeing that, and then they take ownership of that space. I would definitely recommend for new teachers, um, I'm trying to remember the names, there's one book, it's by Henry Wong, or Harry Wong. Yes, uh, yes. called The First Days of School. Yep, the I, classic. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was like my Bible, like my first two years of teaching. Um, and then also the book by Fred Jones. I'm blanking on all these book titles. <laughs> but Fred Jones, Harry Wong. Um, and then also the... The PRIM, which is, I think, the Pre-Referral Intervention Manual. Yes, um, a giant book. Yeah, it's like a huge dictionary. <laughs> but a great resource. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those three really helped me out and helped me just create some strategies and get my classroom set up in a way that um, I was set up for success. Great. I 100% support those recommendations. The Pre-Referral Intervention Manual is, is a really good one. It has very mm -hmm. small, like, bite-sized things that you can do strategies, very concrete, most of them, that, mm -hmm. that you don't have to do a lot of work or collect a lot of resources to be able to implement. So 100% recommend that. Thank you for mentioning that. I've oh, forgotten yeah, about that book absolutely. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I shouldn't as a special education teacher. So thank you for that reminder. Oh, yeah, definitely. What are the causes of teachers leaving schools, especially, again, in communities that are underserved? In those schools, teachers seem to uh, not last as long as teachers who teach in um, suburban neighborhoods, for example. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the causes of that and how do we fix that? I definitely think it's a complex issue that probably varies setting to setting. Um, I'll be brutally honest, like in my experience, um, I have worked at two different schools uh, that I left. And the main reason why I left those schools, and they were very high needs, um, the students did oftentimes have a lot of, you know, just other issues that they were bringing into the classroom. But both times I did not leave because of the students. I left because there was just a lack of administrative support. I think it's really important when a teacher voices that they need help in a certain area that they receive that help pretty immediately. Because by mm -hmm. the time it gets to that point where a teacher, because it's scary going to a boss and saying like, hey, I can't do this. I think by the time a teacher is getting to the point where they're voicing that, it's already a major issue. Yep. Um, so I think it's really important that administrators and just anybody in a school setting is just assuming positive intentions of each other, voicing when they need help, and just that general collaborative spirit. That was really what was lacking in both schools that I worked at that I really wish I had that probably could have kept me there because I love the kids, regardless of all of the behavior stuff. Like, they're kids are kids, you know? They're, um, they, they respond to their environment, too. And when they could perceive that I was stressed, they were picking up on that. And it, it's just not good you know yeah so when you say teacher support or administrative support 
um, what kind of support can make the life of a teacher or the experience of a teacher in an intense environment more positive and better? What kind of supports did you want, for example? Um, I definitely wanted some more support in regards to behavior. Like if I had an issue in the classroom that was taking up all of my attention, mm-hmm. then I wanted to be able to call someone to either work with that student in the classroom. I really don't like exclusionary discipline, but at least kind of help me handle that so that I could continue yeah. teaching or help continue teaching for me while I handle that issue because it's, it's so hard when you're one person and there's 40 kids looking at you. And as right. soon as you start dealing with just one kid, then other behavior issues pop up. And that was a big uh, wish that I had in both of my former settings. And that's very stressful in the moment and after it stays with you in your head. It's very hard to get over that. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. To go back to your social uh, and emotional learning work, if people wanted to start doing some of the emotional learning work in their classrooms today, what should they do? How should they start? Um, I think it's something that you can kind of just incorporate in things that you're already doing, or even just little itsy bitsy things you can do. Like when, um, like when my kids come in from a high energy activity, like we'll usually have a mindful moment. And a lot of the times initially, this isn't going to be super smooth. They'll, they'll giggle. They'll think it's weird. But once they kind of get used to it, and it, it's really powerful. Like I'll have them come in and we'll just watch a little headspace video or we'll just do a little breathing exercise. And even just those few deep breaths is enough to just, you know, bring that energy level down enough so that we can start learning. Another thing that teachers can do in terms of kind of like emotions is actually just teach kids what the emotions are. Um, A lot of kids that I noticed, uh, at least kids that I worked with, didn't really understand all the complex emotions that they're feeling, especially in middle school. They're having all these feelings they've never felt before and they don't know what they are and they don't know how to deal with it. Are you referring to the language of emotions and understanding of what they look and feel like? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you could even just show them like little emojis or just pictures of people and ask them like what is this person feeling how can you tell uh what could they do about it um or give them just little situations um like little paragraphs where you tell them a little story and you just ask like what emotion is this person feeling are they angry or are they sad or are they tired because i i have kids that'll come in and they'll be like miss i'm depressed and it's like well what's wrong and they'll be like oh i didn't sleep well well (laughs) well, you're not depressed like you're tired (laughs) but i think i mean it sounds so like simple and so obvious but i think just teaching kids to label their emotions is is powerful Um, and you can do a lot with that from there i've seen um a lot of schools too implementing uh the zones of regulation theory it's basically like four different colors and kids will identify like which emotions match which color and with each color comes a whole list of coping strategies they can use um i've seen schools use that too um i don't think it really matters like what theory exactly you follow as long as you are talking with kids about these feelings and things that they can do to manage them and still stay focused and not let those feelings take over their whole life, any of that is going to be beneficial. Thank you for that. We have this one last question we'd like to ask always. If you could uh, wave a magic wand 
to strengthen our school systems or, you know, make the teaching profession stronger or student outcomes even better? What are some things you would do with that magic wand? Oh, so many things. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, I think the the biggest thing, um, like at the highest level that this country could do to support education is just invest more in it. Um, we invest so much more in the military and prison systems in this country than we do in our schools. And I think that's tragic. If we had more money in schools, we would be able to hire more teachers, have smaller class sizes. We would be able to actually purchase modern resources for kids to use. We would be able to create classrooms that were actually comfortable in places that kids wanted to be. We could invest more time in research and developing different strategies to reach our students. Because our students today are so different than, I mean, even like what I experienced in school, like their interests, the way they think, the way they learn. And we just need more to work with in order to make all this stuff happen. I definitely just think that like smaller class sizes um, are critical. Going from my first school where I had like 40 kids to my last school where I had 26 on average per class. It just makes the biggest difference because you can spend more time actually getting to know your kids and it makes behavior issues a lot just easier to manage. I also wish I just had like a little fairy that would grade all my papers for me. That would be great. <laughs> yes, yes. I would love that. Um, yeah. So, uh, th those are great. Thank you. Do you also feel, how do you, I mean, how do you feel about uh, the teacher evaluation process that, uh, I don't know what, what they follow where, where you teach, um, but how, what's your level of satisfaction with the teacher evaluation process? Um, I think I've seen multiple different like evaluation forms. I think if you are going to evaluate a teacher, it's really important that you at least sit in on their class a few times before that so that you understand what normal baseline kind of is like when a lot of people walk into my classroom they might initially think like oh my god it's out of control but what they don't understand is that I use flexible seating and the kids will be laying on the floor with a clipboard and some people will be in a bean bag and I'll have other kids uh, messing around with something in the calm down corner because they're stressed and it looks like it might look like chaos to someone but if they actually could just see what was happening like over time and how kids were utilizing the space and how I taught them to use that space, then it they would just understand it more. So I think that whatever evaluation system schools are using, just be mindful of the teacher's like actual style of teaching um, and focus on the content and what they're teaching, not just how the kids look in the classroom. And how about the evaluation of student um, students' education uh, uh, outcomes. Do you think, how should we measure how much students have learned in your experience? Um, I think it's best when we assess students through like multiple different modalities, like through projects, through activities, through occasional tests, through writing assignments. Uh, I don't think just tests are a good indicator of what a student knows. Um, prime example myself. I am a horrible test taker. I have awful testing anxiety, but I could talk about what I know. I could write a paper about what I know. Um, and so I always keep that in mind when I'm evaluating my kids too. If they totally bomb a test, then I 
will either give them an opportunity to come meet with me and answer the questions verbally or maybe do a retake or just present their knowledge through some other medium. Cool. Thank you. Well, we are out of time and I am so grateful to you for your time. It was great talking to you and, and I learned a lot from you about uh, the ways in which I can incorporate emotional learning in my classroom and I look forward to trying some things out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And that's all for today's episode, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Turn and Talk Podcast is your one-stop shop for learning about what is actually happening in schools today directly from the people who are working in today's schools. The support for this podcast comes from listeners like yourself, people who are interested in the present and the future of education. So feel free to head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash turnandtalkpodcast. We invite you to also follow us on Instagram at turnandtalkpodcast. If you haven't subscribed, yet please go ahead and do that too so that all future episodes are available to you upon release and downloaded immediately to your device if you have questions thought feedback or if you work in a school and would like to take the mic back please please email us at turn and talk podcast at gmail.com thank you for tuning in this is your host jay mcsuits signing out peace